Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the studios of Chico Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but a photographer of over 30 years. But if a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This radio program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week I share a devotional inspired by the name of one of the cross images and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. The photo accompanying this week's devotional is the Passover. This image is of a very close-up image of the cross, but not because I am up close to the cross, as with a wide angle. I am not. I am using what is called a zoom lens. And if I recall correctly, the composition was shot using a fixed 300 millimeter lens, shooting up as if I was laying down, and I utilized the horizontal orientation, which for me is very rare, as approximately 98% of my cross collection is shot vertically. And the horizontal approach is what makes this image, and it helps provide a broader version of the motion of the clouds moving across the sky. I shot it long enough after sunset to allow me to take a long enough exposure and to bump up the exposure back up adequately. The effect of this technique is an enhancement of the illusion of fast-moving clouds. Yes, the clouds were moving, but the way I shot this image highlights the movement of passing clouds across an immovable cross. As if the generations of and ages of time fly by as they cross the cross, which is immovable. The inspiration for the name was not originally referring to the Hebrew holiday, no, To me, this image illustrates the feeling of the fleeting nature of our life. The disciple James reminds us of this when he wrote in James 4.14, Your life is like a mist, a vapor, a puff of smoke. You can see it, it appears, for a short time, but then it goes away. In Ecclesiastes 1.2, King Solomon says, Life is fleeting like a passing mist. It is like trying to catch hold of a breath. All vanishes like a vapor. So to me, the clouds in these images are like our life, fleeting and ever moving. And yet, the cross is solid, secure, and steadfast. When you feel like a feather in the currents of the wind, tossed about by the turbulence, seek the safety in the shadow of the cross of Christ. The cross is immovable across the ages, a firm, 
safe harbor in any storm that we may find ourselves in. Now, technically and artistically, the Passover is not one of my best images. But because of the technique where the clouds feel like they're moving and out of focus a bit, but the cross is in sharp focus, and then, of course, my interpretation of this composition, it is one of my favorites. And it reminds me of a quote attributed to Martin Luther, which says, The cross of Christ runs through the whole of Scripture, as if in this image all of time was passing by the cross, but the cross was the anchor of all time. Now, for example, when, when they say Moses was a precursor to Jesus, I agree. Moses was a very crucial figure both in the Bible and in human history. What really impresses me about his whole story, his rescue as a baby from the extermination order that every boy under two be killed, his floating down the Nile in a reed boat, being raised in Pharaoh's house, his fugitive lifestyle in the wilderness, the burning bush, the plagues, the Passover, the desert, yes, the 40 years in the desert, and the Hebrews crossing over the Jordan River into the Promised Land was an amazing prophecy about Jesus ushering in a new covenant with mankind. And out of all the plagues that God allowed on Egypt and on Pharaoh, the one that intrigues me the most is the judgment of the angel of death. This was the last and worst of all the plagues. This one which was to take or kill the firstborn of the entire nation of Egypt. However, God provided a way to save the firstborn of his chosen people, which was through a lamb. Well, not one lamb, but a lot of lambs. And not just any lamb, but a spotless lamb, one without any blemish. And when the lamb that was sacrificed, it had its blood drained, which was then used for as many houses as possible. When that blood ran out, they sacrificed the next lamb, and so on. And the procedure was to use a hyssop branch as a paintbrush to apply the blood above the mantle and on the left and right trim of the doorway. Now, if you can picture this in your mind, you'll see that the covering of the blood was in the symbol of the cross, which means this whole story of Moses was a prophecy toward Jesus. Not one spoken with words, but lived out through the 120 years of Moses' life, and especially through the burning bush, holy ground story, where we learn about who the Father is. Eha, Asher, Eha. We learn who God is. I am who I am. And through the cross, we learn why Jesus came, and who the Son is was fully revealed on the cross. All of which up to the point in Moses' life when he ascended into the heavenly dimension in bodily form after the Hebrews crossed into the promised land. Just like Jesus, after he ascended into heaven, leaving the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And at Pentecost, what do we see? Flames of fire on the heads of the apostles. So we have a burning bush. On one side, we have flames of fire of Pentecost, and the other in the middle is the cross. And to me, the cross is the epicenter 
to all of it, all the way back to Eden and ahead to the rapture. Now, it came to mind as I was pondering these truths, a hymn from Fanny Crosby. In one of the lines, it says, Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow over me. Jesus was our sacrifice, his blood, the payment for our sins, and his Holy Spirit, our counselor, to walk with us. Isaiah 26.3 says, God keeps those whose minds are stayed on him in perfect peace. When we keep our minds fixed on God, we are flooded with an inexplicable peace, a perfect peace that only comes from above. And it can be as simple, albeit time-consuming, while to me obviously beneficial, as the foot of the cross meditation practice, a method I have mentioned many times on previous programs, in which you focus on a Good Friday sub-story and meditate on its deeper meaning. The same technique can be applied to different parts of the Bible. But getting back to the Fanny Crosby hymn, she continues, Near the cross, I watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. So, I take it that you should keep your mind stayed on Christ, his body and his blood. If you do, then your life that was filled with worry, anxiety, fear, doubt, and anger will be filled with things that are peaceful, joyful, and fruitful. Now, this, this week's program, this devotional, inspired by the Passover image with the fast-moving clouds behind it, provides assurance that no matter how fast and furious the storms of life are, stay near the cross. The sections I've been reading from is from a hymn named Near the Cross by Fanny Crosby. Now, before I worked on this devotional series, I had no idea who Fanny was. Oh, I had heard some of her songs. I just didn't know who she was or her crucial role of our modern Christian faith and even American history. Maybe if I had become a worship leader instead of a photographer, I would have learned about her earlier. And since she became such a pillar of the American Christian movement, I thought I should learn more. And I found an article in Christianity Today that details Fanny's life, which ran from 1820 to 1915. I found that Francis Jane Crosby wrote more than 9,000 hymns, some of which are among the most popular in every Christian denomination. She wrote so many that she was forced to use pen names lest all the hymnals being sung across all the churches be filled with her name above all others. And for most people, the most remarkable thing about her was that she had done so in spite of her blindness. Once, a well-meaning preacher asked, I think it a great pity that the Master did not give you sight when he showered so many gifts upon you. Fanny Crosby calmly responded at once, Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I would be born blind? Now, she had only been able to see for the first six weeks of her life. So she continued in her response to this preacher, quote, because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior, unquote. 
You see, she was blinded by what was referred to in those days as a quack. Uh, this happened very early in her life, within two months of being born. Unfortunately, the family doctor was away, and another man, pretending to be a certified doctor, treated her by prescribing hot mustard poultices to be applied to her eyes. Her illness eventually relented, but the treatment left her blind. When the doctor was revealed to be a quack, he disappeared. A few months later, Crosby's father died. Her mother was forced to find work as a live-in maid to support the family, and Fanny was mostly raised by her Christian grandmother. Fanny's love of poetry began early. Her first verse, written at age eight, echoed her lifelong refusal to feel sorry for herself. Quote, Oh, what a happy soul I am! Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world, contented, I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Wow. While she enjoyed her poetry, she zealously memorized the Bible, memorizing five chapters a week. And even as a child, she could recite the Pentateuch, the Gospels, the Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, and many Psalms, chapter and verse. Now, her mother's hard work paid off. Shortly before her 15th birthday, Crosby was sent to the recently founded New York Institute for the Blind, which would be her home for 23 years, 12 as a student, 11 as a teacher. She initially indulged in her own poetry and was called upon to pen verses for various occasions. However, in time, the principal asked her to avoid such distractions in favor of her structured instructions. He said, We have no right to be vain in the presence of the owner and creator of all things. Hmm. Well, it was the work of a traveling phrenologist, one who studies the shape and irregularities of the skull, for insights into character and mental capacity, which changed the principal's mind and again ignited Fanny's passion. Through the phrenologist's study, which now is the ridicule of science, his words were, were proven prophetic. He said, Here is a poetress. Give her every possible encouragement. Read the best books to her and teach her the finest that is in poetry. You will hear from this lady someday. It didn't take long. By age 23, Crosby was addressing Congress and making friendships with presidents. In fact, she knew all the chief executives of her lifetime, especially Grover Cleveland, who served as secretary for the Institute of the Blind before his election. Another member of the Institute, former pupil Alexander von Alstein, married Crosby in 1858. Considered one of New York's best organists, he wrote the music to many of Crosby's hymns. Crosby herself put music to only a few of her writings, though she did play harp, piano, guitar, and other instruments. More often, musicians came to her for lyrics. For example, one day, William Duane dropped by for a surprise visit, begging her to put some words to a tune he had recently written and at which he was to perform at an upcoming Sunday school convention. The only problem with it is that the train was about to leave in 35 minutes. He sat at the piano and played the tune. Fanny said, Your music says, safe in the arms of Jesus. 
Crosby scribbled out the hymn's words immediately and said, Here, read it on the train, and hurry, you don't want to be late. That hymn became one of Crosby's most famous. Though she was under contract to submit three hymns a week to her publisher, and often wrote six or seven a day for a dollar or two each, many became incredibly popular when Dwight Moody and Ira Sankey began to use them in their crusades. They started to begin to receive even more attention. Among these songs are Blessed Assurance, All the Way My Savior Leads Me, To God Be the Glory, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, Safe in the Arms of Jesus, Rescue the Perishing, and Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross. She could write very complex hymns and compose music with a more classical structure, but she preferred to write simple, sentimental verses that could be used for evangelism. She continued to write her poetry up to her death, a month shy of her 95th birthday. You will reach the riverbank some sweet day, by and by, was her last stanza. After reading Fanny's bio, I am blown away by such an amazing life. And what an inspiration her life can be for all of us. Many American Christians, as well as Christians across the Western world, are perceived to be, and I believe are, very blessed, but unfruitful. And even though placed in an optimal climate, with the richest soil, and the most caring attention of the best gardener, some Christians are still unfruitful. And yet, people like Fanny Crosby, with a legitimate handicap, served the Lord with what they did have, and were incredibly fruitful. Look at someone who's still alive and producing. Johnny Erickson Tata, who became a full-body paraplegic. And yet, she still had her voice, and she wrote, recorded, and published many songs on many albums. She also has a fully functional mouth and used it to hold a paintbrush and painted beautiful works of art, some of which really resonate with me as their compositions of things that I'm drawn to. Majestic skyscapes with light streaming down through the clouds. And she still had her healthy brain and has published many books. So in the light of Johnny and Fanny, ask and answer yourself. Have you been as fruitful as you can be? Why? What do you have that you could use to guide new souls into the kingdom of God? I had this discussion once with a lady who was born and raised Christian, a cradle Christian, and yet told me that She possessed nothing of importance, she had no talent overall, and could not see where or how to evangelize. I thought about it, and I remembered a perspective of mine, which is that a main component of being fruitful is to plant, water, and or harvest new souls into a joyful existence of living in the kingdom of God here on earth. So, when this lady felt quite sure that she had nothing in her makeup to be fruitful, I simply asked her, do you have a smile? After a pause and a twinkle in her eye, she said, yes. I said, good, go and use that smile to distinguish yourself as a follower of Christ. I reminded her of what Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He continues, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. 
So I encouraged her not just to smile at everyone she meets, but to love them through that smile. And a smile that comes through her eyes, like the twinkle in her eyes that I saw when I asked my question, and even invisibly through her heart. As I could read in her body language, she was trying to visualize and apply my words. I continued by sharing one of Mother Teresa's most loved texts, which is Matthew 25, 40 and 45. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done for me. What does this mean? The lady asked. I said, human beings have, spiritually speaking, the same inherent worth or value because they all have the same nature, namely a human nature. In other words, all humans are made in the image of God. And my pastor used to say that there is a God-shaped place in the heart of every person that only God could fill. And if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then when you truly love the person you just met, you are sharing the love of Christ through them, to them. Referring back to John 13, 34, through sharing evangelical love for someone, even though it is just your smile and demeanor, will, even if subconsciously at first, set you apart as a follower of Jesus. You never know at what phase of life that person you just met may be at. So there Maybe nothing yet, and so your life and your presence in their life and your loving smile may plant a seed, or it may be a sproutling, little tender small plant, and your loving smile may be nourishing water. And your loving smile may ultimately be part of the harvesting of that soul. Or if you are open to it, that loving smile may lead to a conversation about that person and their hurts and hopes. To the crescendo question, if they'd like to know Jesus and have their sins forgiven. I could tell the lady seemed all of a sudden to be hesitant about visualizing herself asking such a question. I then shared about my mom, who was saved from her multi-year addiction to heroin, one who had never graduated from high school and from some perspectives had nothing of note to offer, nothing except the love of Christ that was flowing, no, overflowing through her. Her joy was undeniable. As her child, I saw how her joy touched people's lives to pretty much everyone she met, and how my mom never flinched when the opportunity revealed itself, and she would simply ask, would you like to feel the love of Jesus and to be healed today? Even though the lady I was talking to was having a hard time comparing herself to my mom, I picked up on a theme that she was a little fearful of stepping outside her comfort zone. So I asked, so what is the worst that could happen? They could simply say no. But trust me, the Holy Spirit will then resonate. It will resonate that question in their mind and soul long after your interaction with that person. The point is you are a conduit of the seed being planted or nourished. All of us Christians are called to, and have many ways to be, evangelically fruitful. Every Christian listening to this right now have the ability to share a loving smile with everyone you meet. The point is, if you intend to, you can share the gospel to those you meet even without saying a word. You can use any or all parts of who you are. The you that God knew you in the womb you. The one in a million you. The rarest of the rare you. 
And when you do, don't try to overdo. Don't try to overthink it or see results. Just love others. Trust in the Holy Spirit to take it from there. And beyond that, having faith that your little watering of the seedling was a part of that plant bearing fruit, which means your life is bearing fruit. And it reminds me, getting back to that Near the Cross hymn from Fanny Crosby, she continues from where I had shared earlier in this devotional. She says, quote, There is a precious fountain, free to all, a healing stream which flows from Calvary's mountain. This, to me, refers to the living water that Jesus told the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And John 4 gives us the account of Jesus' encounter with the unholy Samaritan woman. And Jesus skillfully shows her that she needs the living water that only he can give. It's the same basic message with a different metaphor. But in John 4.14 he says, Whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The metaphor I'm connecting is that everyone you meet is a plant of a different stage in life. And your sharing God's love will help nourish their growth. As they either grow as a Christian or grow closer to becoming a Christian. One of the wonderful things about the gospel is that Jesus brings and meets the basic needs that all people have. Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus taught us that man does not live by bread alone. Rather, he lives on every word that comes from the mouth of the Eternal One. The fundamental basics of the Word, the Bible, and the water of the Holy Spirit, through prayer and meditation, this healing water remedies hurts of the past, as well as pain of everyday disappointments and stress. Whatever you go through, always make time to nourish yourself with God's Word and the healing power of the Holy Spirit through prayer daily and seek to be in God's presence, even in the here and now. And yet, when we are doing our best with what God gave us and the time we have left to bring as many souls with us into the joy of God's light and love, and yet, as I alluded to earlier, we plant a seed, an actual seed out in the actual garden, and we come back day to day and do not see a sprout. It can be discouraging for some, but we have to plant the seed, water it, and let God do the rest. Eventually, we see a sprout, and even if you sit there and watch it grow, you won't really see it grow. It's too slow for our eyes to see. But your waiting and watching will be worth it when the plant flowers and fruits. Point is, what are your daily intentions? If your intention is to get through the workday, an evening meal and some entertainment on that piece of electronics on your in your front room, the big monitor in your front room, then I might suggest you consider a new daily set of intentions, ones that involve daily bread, the living water, to nourish and equip you, and daily intentions for sharing the love of Christ with those around you. At work, at the grocery store, at the library, wherever and however, even if with just a loving smile, with the intention of Jesus watering the sprout planted in the person by someone else. And when you do, keep your mind stayed on Christ. Now, if 
You're not a Christian yet if you have not accepted the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you. Then I suggest you contemplate what he did for you, asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins and heal the painful parts of your mind. Ask Jesus to come into your heart today. And with that, go in grace, and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional program heard every week here on Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like this devotion's image, the Passover, then log on to RobbieHolt.com, that is R-O-B-B-Y-H-O-L-T.com.